I think we all know the pedigree of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology when it comes to bird resources, and we at the ABA are excited to partner with the Cornell Lab of O to offer an amazing deal exclusive to ABA members. ABA members can now get a 15% discount to any new subscription to Cornell's amazing new Birds of the World resource that is applicable for three years. Birds of the World is a powerful resource that brings deep scholarly content from four celebrated works of ornithology into a single platform where birders can answer all their life history questions for every species of bird they could want. It is extraordinary. You can get more information at birdsoftheworld.org. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. What is the deal with Watson? That is the question asked by Ben Crayer in a recent article in The New Yorker. Of course, bird folks probably know a little bit about what is going on. The Watson is a truly bizarre bird that has been something of a taxonomic conundrum for centuries, I think it's fair to say. It lives in these oxbow lakes in Amazonian South America. It has been described as a punk rock chicken. It eats plants and thus smells funny because it digests leaves through fermentation like a cow. Uh, its babies have honest-to-God claws on the wings to help it to scramble through riverside vegetation like some sort of awkward monkey. I, I could go on. It is a very, very weird bird. And the question, of course, has always been where does it fit in the great spreading evolutionary bush, Charles Darwin's famous tree of life that is birds. Is it close to cuckoos, pigeons, taracos? Back when taxonomists used to use physical traits to organize birds, they made a lot of mistakes. With modern, sophisticated genetic tools at our disposal, we have gotten better. Uh, we now know that falcons are actually sister to parrots and passerines, not close to hawks and eagles with whom they share a similar lifestyle. We also make mistakes with genetics, too. You might remember back uh, to that brief period where New World vultures were thought to be closely related to storks. Turns out they're not. They're actually with the hawk eagle group, but a little off to the side. So thank you, genetics, I guess. Genetics gives and takes. Uh, the Watson was really no different. The clawed babies suggested for years that the bird was some sort of quote-unquote primitive bird. That's not really fair. It has undergone the same 160 million years of evolution as every other bird species. It's actually quite well adapted to its weirdo niche. Uh, the proto-Watson might have diverged from other birds sooner down the bird pathway, but it's still a product of natural selection like all the others. But what has all this sophisticated genetic modeling told us about the bizarre Watson? Well, that conclusion, as evidenced by the New Yorker article, is that we still don't know. And in fact, may never know. There are researchers quoted that suggest that these lineages may never be fully mapped. It's an interesting article. I, the link is in the show notes. I encourage you to check it out. It sort of takes a Darwin was wrong about the tree of life tack towards the end that I don't really agree with. I think it's more... Accurate to say that Darwin, being a 19th century figure, could not have possibly imagined how complicated his tree would become, with branches turning back on each other and winding in directions that boggle the mind. The tree has always been a bit of an oversimplified layman's understanding of evolution anyway. So maybe it's not all that surprising that the Watson is using its weird claws to climb all over it. Man, the tropics have some cool birds. Want to check them out with me? Come to Panama this September with the ABA. There are sadly no Watsons in Panama, but there are all sorts of other neat things, including maybe Harpy Eagle. That's another one from those tropical biology books that gets people excited. And hey, my dad's coming too. 
So all the birding and nature experiences are included in the cost, and all the slightly embarrassing stories about young birder Nate are absolutely free. So keep that in mind. On the show this week, I'm happy to introduce you to the ABA's new executive director, Nikki Belmonte. We talk about the birding community, Christmas bird counts, and the best flannel to cover up your nerdy bird shirt. All that after this week's Rare Bird. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the middle of July 2022. We started with Alaska last week, and this week we start with a bird more commonly seen in Alaska. San Diego, California, the best birding county in the ABA area, added a species to its truly impressive county list this week. A gray-tailed tattler, the East Asian version of our familiar ABA area wandering tattler, was seen at Chula Vista Wildlife Preserve. This is the second California record, but the first was from 1981, so it's practically a generational first. As I mentioned earlier, gray-tailed tattler is a common migrant, somewhat common migrant, on the Bering Sea Islands and the Aleutians, but quite rare elsewhere. This is only about the fifth lower 48 record for this species, and three of those come from the East Coast. Surprisingly enough, Canada has one from British Columbia. The south-central part of the ABA area has seen a small run of Mexican violet ear records. The second for Kansas was followed by Oklahoma's third and Arkansas's seventh or so. While the Kansas and Oklahoma birds overlapped in time, the Arkansas birds showed up after the Oklahoma individual had departed, so it's possible that they were the same bird, though that's always sort of a difficult thing to determine. Those are the rarities for the week. For the full accounting, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash rba. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook. Back in May of this year, the American Birding Association announced the hiring of Nikki Belmonte as the organization's newest executive director. She comes to us with a background in nonprofit management, environmental education, and as a birder. We gave her a couple months to get her feet wet before we brought her on to the podcast to introduce her all to you. Uh, welcome, Nikki. I hope your first couple months as ED have been productive and maybe even a little bit enjoyable. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Uh, it's awesome to be here, and I'm I'm on with like a celebrity podcaster. Oh, I'm so oh, I'm so please. excited. <laughs> yes, I think uh, I've got my feet wet. Yeah. Um, perhaps I can answer a few questions today. We'll see how that goes. Well, look, we're just looking to get to know to know you, to know some of your birding experiences, and sort of what you prioritize, what you value in the birding community. So, you know, we'll make it relatively easy. We were talking to you earlier. You are you are actually my boss, so I can't be that hard on you. So not that I would anyway. So, no oh, worries. that's good to know. Um, <laughs> you get a gold star for this week, Nate. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Perfect. All right. So uh, let's, let's start at the beginning. Like, how did you start birding? How did you get involved in the birding world? So I'm from Massachusetts, and um, I'm from right outside of Boston, one of the suburbs. And... I got interested in the outdoors because my parents signed me up for a camp at a Mass Audubon sanctuary. We had mm -hmm. one in our town on the Charles River. Um, if you know that song, the Dirty Water song. Dirty water, um, yeah. yeah, love that Dirty Water. <laughs> That's right. I played in the Dirty Water. Is the Dirty Water good for birding? It's fantastic for birding. Yeah, Dirty Water is actually. I mean, we go to we go to water treatment facilities. We know that Dirty Water is good for birding. I've spent. Uh, enough time at a chicken processing plant that yeah. I, I do understand. Uh, they are dirty water is a great thing, um, <laughs> and it was a great thing for me apparently because that was kind of the foundation of where I started to explore the outdoors. I, it was in a, a nature camp, basically. Mm -hmm. My parents uh, were from the city. Uh, they had 
no experience like that ever. Um, but they, you know, signed me up and during the nature camp, you do all the general things that you do at nature camp, but there was one week where we had, I don't know if they had an ornithologist on staff or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Mass Audubon is a massive network, um, all sorts of staff. And one day they brought in a black capped chickadee for all of us to see, and it had a band on it. And I just remember being fascinated and I can still picture this in my head, like seeing this bird up close in hand. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And at the end of camp, we went to the gift shop and got the <laughs> birds of North America, you know, the teal field guide. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what started it all. I must have been eight, nine, 10 years old. So I learned how to canoe and I learned that I loved birds that day. And from there, you know, I wasn't really a big birder. I just loved being out in nature. Um, I would just go off on my own when we moved out to central Massachusetts. I would mm-hmm. go off and wander in the woods back there with my CD Walkman and uh, that Peterson CD um, guide. Yep. And I would like listen to in the woods and then I'd, you know, go on my CD Walkman and like skip through the tracks and be like, oh, that's an American Robin. And you know, that you know, kind of story really goes to show how far we have come as far as technology. Well, like Merlin will identify these birds for you. Um, I, I have a hard time. I don't like a CD Walkman. That is barely a step up from like the tape Walkman in terms of like learning bird songs. That is a difficult way to learn bird vocalizations. I mean, in the thing, it's not like I could wear it on my hip. I mean, I right. was like holding that in one hand yeah. and my teal field guide in the other. That's and right. I had like a journal, you know, I mean, I didn't always do that, but I found myself out outside a lot, collecting bugs, mm-hmm. looking at birds, just that sort of thing, even as a teenager. Um, but then from there, I went to study wildlife conservation at UMass Amherst. Um, and then later on, I did a graduate program in environmental education. I think for me, there was a turn when I started to become an adult. And I realized I loved my jobs when I was like a naturalist or a park interpreter right. for the season. I loved being around people, even though I really enjoyed my solo time in the woods. You know, when I was in jobs when I was working. I enjoyed being around people and working with people and showing people what was out there. So I kind of ended up pivoting away from wildlife studies and headed towards how do we communicate about nature with people and get them excited and get people aware and turn them into environmentalists. Oh, for sure. I think that's a that's a journey that a lot of people have taken. I mean, it resonates with me as well because I I I never saw myself as like a scientist. Right. But I did see myself as, uh, I don't know, like a, a person that it can kind of guide people into this world or help them appreciate it, even if it's just like a very small way. And I don't know, it's nice that the ABA is there to kind of be that for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, I think what stands out about the ABA is that it is about the birders. It's about the people. Yeah the focus is on building like a community, you know, like that really awesome feeling you get when you go out birding. Mm -hmm. That is something like the ABA, we get to share that. That's like our job, Nate. Like we we get to share that feeling. And I mean, that's fantastic. And I, I learned early on as an adult that I did really appreciate that role. Um, you know, at first, when you're working in like wildlife and ecological studies, you think, wow, I can really make a contribution to science. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But there are realities about those types of jobs. And when I started to grow up a little bit, you know, I had a fiance at one point and, you know, I was getting married and Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed having that interaction with people um, and the reality of um, working, you know, close to home versus going off somewhere to study a certain species. So, you know, that kind of turned it around for me as well. Um, but I do like the ABA really has this community feeling. And I think over the next few years, we're really going to focus on blowing that out of the water. Yeah, for sure. Do you, do you remember your first interaction with like the bird, you know, quote unquote community, like a bird club or a bird walk or some sort of situation where you were like, not the only birder out there doing solo bird walks, but your first time interacting with other people who are as interested in nature and nature observation as you were. I do. It was a Christmas bird count mm-hmm. in central Massachusetts that I had kind of a coworker slash mentor. And he and I worked together at a state reservation. I was the park naturalist and he was doing some research. And he lived in the town where the reservation was. And he's like, hey, do you want to join us on this CBC? And I said, sure, that sounds awesome. Um, I don't know what I'm getting into, but it sounds <laughs> yeah. great. And I had such a great time because I was surrounded by people who were totally jacked about birds. <laughs> sure. And then at the end of the day, we all got together at uh, the CBC coordinator's house. Yeah. There was food. There were drinks. We're all just like chatting about the day and just talking. It was like fantastic. And I was like, oh. This feels like family. <laughs> yeah. Like I often wonder, like, because my my first experience was really similar to that too. Um, it was a local bird club that I started going to. And I was like this, I was a teenager at the time, and then you know, started going on Christmas bird counts. But I I distinctly remember those post-count dinners, those potlucks that you have. And I wonder for how, how many people that is like a defining moment of their birding career for lack of a better word, they're like, they're this obsession or interest or whatever you want to call it. Like that is the moment where it became like, this is something I'm, I'm, I can do on my own to, this is part of a community that I am in, like where you feel like a birder for the first time. I mean, I wonder if it's the potluck food yeah, or no, the free food beer. always helps. Yeah. Food and drinks always help that sort of thing. Always. Well, I mean, <laughs> I host, I, so I coordinate a CBC and for a while there before COVID, I was hosting the after party and yeah, the yeah. countdown at my house. And, you know, I have two children and at the time they were, you know, they were younger. So I was like, guys, you've got to clear up. We're having, we're having the like <laughs> chili get together and right. uh, Papa's going to make his famous chili and we're going to have beer, cheese soup and everybody's going to come over and tons of strangers here in the house, clear out. So, you know, I used to do that. And that really makes me wonder every time I want to pass on my responsibilities as a CBC <laughs> coordinator, what you right. just said really resonated with me because I do love the idea of helping somebody come into the birding world. Like it's, it can be intimidating, you know, yeah, it can be sure. intimidating yeah. to jump in here and just expose yourself. I mean, if you're, especially, you know, if you're just getting started and you had no idea of the diversity <laughs> of birds out there. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, but I love that idea that, you know, gatherings like that can really welcome people in. I'll have to ask a few people that are on my CBC that were kind of new a few years mm-hmm. ago, new to birding to see if, yeah. you know, if it was the chili, the beer, or just the feeling of community yeah. that kept them going. <laughs> it is true. 
because you know I, this is something the ABA has struggled with for a really long time. This idea that the organization is only for like quote unquote serious birders for whatever that means, whether that means you have a big list or you go out all the time or you're slightly antisocial, <laughs> misanthropic as some <laughs> birders are. But like, like the, the organization is maybe not for people who, who just want to get started. And I've, I've always kind of wanted to push back against that because I think the birding community is for people who, you know, want to get in. It's if you're, you know, the famous Ken Kaufman saying, if you're interested in birding, then you're a good birder, right? The C- those CBC dinners are always just like such a great way to like break that down because you are in there sharing a bowl of chili with the guy who has like the biggest list in the, in the county and uh, may have felt that may have felt really far away at one point, but all of a sudden you're like there and there's just a regular people. They're just regular people. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something too, you touched on, you know, there's a, there's storytelling in birding. Yeah, oh, for sure. And yeah. like exchanging those stories um, personally, you know, you do that on the podcast. I mean, that is a very strong way to connect with people mm-hmm. um, when you're out yeah. birding and you, uh, you, you tell the stories of the day, like the sea yeah. day, like the rundown, like what happened to you? How many cops asked what you were doing? <laughs> Um, how many people came out in the South, how many people came out with their shotguns, you know, like, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but no, this like, even like the behavior of the birds and yeah. how it compared to what was happening for someone else in their section, that whole piece about storytelling, uh, you know, that's, that is part of ABA too. I mean, mm-hmm. we're kind of s- expert storytellers and uh, that yeah. that's one way to look at at birding, you know, it's, it's beyond the checklist. It, it, it goes beyond the field guide. It, it's a lot about what, what are birds doing out there? What are they doing where you are? Cause this is what they're doing mm-hmm. where I am. And yeah. like, why is that different? Um, I think we have in, in terms of being a good birder, um, and being, a, or being a serious birder is the term mm-hmm. you used. I think serious is when you make that decision to go outside, leave your house, make plans, to go look at birds. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what birds you're looking at. Maybe you are yeah. interested in the common waterfowl that's down the street. That's being serious. If you're taking yeah. time out of your day to go out in nature and observe it, I think that's pretty serious. Oh, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So what did you know about the ABA before you took this position? Well, I worked for Atlanta Audubon Society, which is now Georgia Audubon, for about a decade. And I knew about the ABA when I worked there because we would send kids to Camp Colorado, which yeah. we were like, why isn't there an adult camp Colorado? I would like <laughs> yeah, to right. go we there. We get that all the time. Can we yeah. have a staff vacation at Camp Colorado? That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we should get on that. <laughs> um, before I was at Audubon, though, I did, we used to, um, my husband and I, used to look at the bird photo quizzes. I don't know how we came around to the photo quizzes, um, but we were really interested in that. Um, I mean, that was like the first time I heard of ABA. But once, you know, I started working in the birding industry, the bird industry, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that stood out for me about ABA is like, that's where you go to learn how to be in the field, the code of ethics. That was like, ABA is the go-to about how to do a good job bird watching and how to do it ethically and how to do it while respecting others and respecting nature. I thought that was really an, an important thing. And so I, I hold ABA in high regard, like before I, you know, even worked here. Um, but back to the young birder piece, that was a, you know, 
really great opportunity for kids that were getting into birding down here in Georgia. Uh, we had the distinct pleasure to take in scholarship applications and then, you know, get to send some kids out yeah. to Camp Colorado. And that was just like, uh, it was life changing for some of those kids. For sure. Um, and so, you know, those types of opportunities that ABA can offer, you know, to the broad community of youth, that is a, is a big deal. In fact, um, we have a program now, I think, you know, I think you just sent this out in flight calls, Nate, uh, the young birder of the year mentoring program. Mm -hmm. I actually didn't know anything about that before I started working here, which is a shame because, you know, I was working with a lot of young people before. Um, but this program is fantastic. If y'all haven't you know, looked into it, you have a young person who's into birding in nature, you should check it out. This is the 25th year of the Young Birder of the Year mentoring program. And um, registration is open now. It's uh, up on our website, but really it affords the opportunity for kids to really get to know what birding's like, master their skills, mm -hmm. um, build their own networks of other kids who are into yeah. birding. Yeah, and um huge. And just like rub shoulders with some, you know, well-respected birders. That's the wildest part of it. Yeah. Me. Like, you know, we were talking about it. You, you know, it's almost like on a continental scale of that potluck dinner. Like it's, you get to, the people that are mentors on this program are pretty phenomenal. Like they're, they're people birders would know. And, you know, they're just out there giving their, giving their advice to, to, you know, kid birders. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I um I remember making a phone call to one of the parents uh, when I worked at Atlanta Audubon to say, "Hey, mm -hmm. we're sending your kid to Camp Colorado," and she said, "Oh, Nikki, can can I call you back in just a minute?" And so I said, "Sure." She called me back and she's like, oh, "I'm just so sorry. I had to pull over. I you know I'm driving to <laughs> pick up so and so and whatnot, and I'm just so." moved i'm in tears i cannot believe you're sending this is rosemary kramer oh um, hey rosemary yeah. rosemary <laughs> i know that name i can't believe rosemary's gonna get this opportunity i just i had to pull over because i'm so emotional and happy for her and this is so wonderful and i said wow i just like got to change someone's life and rosemary mm -hmm. had a i think she went to camp colorado twice is that yes, right she may have. Yeah, yeah 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 no I, I know that name i've seen it around i know she's still doing a lot of bird stuff in addition to a lot of other cool stuff that, that a lot yeah, of these kids are involved yeah. in but yeah um, these the yeah. kids they're just really super interesting people rosemary yeah, sure. she's got a lot of things going on <laughs> yeah what has maybe surprised you the most about the aba or maybe even like just the bigger birding community in your time kind of in this deep dive <laughs> into it a trial by fire almost two months of <laughs> in the crucible i love it you're like what have you been doing the last two months <laughs> that's not what i'm asking i, try, I totally <laughs> trust that you're we, we've got we've accomplished a lot in the last two months i'll believe me we're we're still here right i mean that's I think right what i find okay my first observation was ab is a small organization yeah i, yeah, I was no, really surprised, surprised that, when i came on <laughs> yeah it's a really small organization doing a whole lot and to yeah. be doing you know a lot more but the other thing that's surprising to me continues to surprise me is every time i kind of enter into a new birding realm like another part of the community i'm like i can't believe how large the community is there are so many birders out there and you just you don't have a when you're 
regional. Like I, you know, I was just really focusing on Georgia. I was like, okay, I mm-hmm. saw there's a lot of Georgia birders. I had no idea. And now yeah. I'm looking at this scope of US and Canada and I'm like blown away at yeah, the number all, of people that are into yeah. birding. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. We just need to get them all on, uh, to become members of the ABA and imagine where we'll be. But, oh, um, absolutely. We have a great opportunity right now. Um, yeah, we yeah. have this coffee promotion. That's right. It'll be going on when this goes out too. So, oh, that's fantastic. Join the fantastic. ABA, get some coffee. Yeah, yeah, get some coffee. I like the dark roast. It is good. It is good. Um, I uh, So they sent the they sent the two bags of coffee for, for Greg and I to promote on the What's This Bird. And uh, I, I actually finished both bags before we... Um, <laughs> we How much do coffee it. do you drink? They were like the two bags. Well, we have three coffee drinkers in my house. Oh. My, my wife, myself, and my son. So we are Your all, son drinks coffee? He started. Yeah, we're burning through coffee like crazy here. It's, oh, my it's nuts. gosh. Yeah. I get to hoard my coffee. So <laughs> it's nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I hoard it. I French press it. I make a big oh, deal out of man. the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a it's like a little little coffee little barista situation you got in there. That's there, right. <laughs> I got to get through the day, you know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, um, what do you think that the birding community does really well, and what do you think that the birding community perhaps doesn't do so well? I think we do a really good job under the radar. I think the birding community, like you know, we're talking about potlucks, CBCs, being out group birding. That always feels really great. Um, But I don't think people know in the general public that there's this feeling of community amongst birders. I mean, if you just look in the media, like how birders are portrayed, like even now when I'm watching my Red Sox games, there's this (laughs) commercial pizza commercial. And it's about this, I don't know if it's Little Caesars or whatever, but they're, they're like, portraying a bird watcher on a dock getting his pizza and it is just one of those stereotypical like totally nerdy looks and it's a totally fine look but that does not represent the bird watching community like not even close i'm like i'm looking at myself i'm like i've never looked like that (laughs) (laughs) it is funny i think that is part of the reason why birders have sort of not been open about being birders for a really long time because there was really there is sort of this weird stereotype about bird watchers and you know, maybe they're 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 watching you they're they're weird they've got their binoculars who knows what they're pointing those at and and I think that we've sort of internalized that a little bit in, in the last few years we've gotten a lot better about getting out there and being like yeah I'm a birder I'm into nature observation all that stuff I'm I'm really proud of it but you know even when I was a kid like it was it was hard to be a birder. Oh yeah, I, I did not show people my field guides. <laughs> right, like exactly. when I was trying yeah. to get in with the new crowd in high school, right, I wasn't like, yeah. "Hey, do you want to hang out? I've got a cool bug." I collection. had no hope. I had so many dorky bird shirts when I was in high school. There was <laughs> there was no way out of it for me. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I hid mine behind gigantic '90s uh, music band t-shirts yeah yeah. Yeah, I was that was my thing but like secretly (laughs) I'd go home and like flip through my field guide and put my CD Walkman on (laughs) like change it out from Nirvana to like Peterson's Guide to Eastern Birds yeah (laughs) that's what that's what those big flannel shirts were good for you could cover up your burning I did that I did that I don't know I don't know how to how to really get beyond that I I I, we, we're better than we have been for sure, you know, and, and all the great press that birding has gotten in the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic, you know, this idea that birding is this fantastic pandemic. 
um, recreational thing you can do outdoors without, you know, getting sick or anything. Um, I, you know, it's great after the pandemic too. I mean, we're not completely out of the woods, but we're getting there and like, I hope people stick with it. I hope they stick with it. And I hope things like, I hope the ABA can capitalize on that too. That's always been sort of a, a the more difficult hill to get over for us, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, with a focus on building community, um, showing people what the community is, mm-hmm. you know, using our publications, our online resources, social media, like who are the birders out there? Who are we? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause we're not all like the guy in that pizza commercial. Um, <laughs> yep. you know, I think one of the other things we need to overcome is, you know, feeling safe and mm-hmm. feeling seen in the mm-hmm. community. And, um, these are all big topics, but they all work together, you know, and one role, you know, ABA can really take is building that community, but making people feel like this is, this is a normal activity, you know, like yeah. bird watching is we not an weirdos. abnormal thing. <laughs> no, there's a millions of people that do it. I mean, really my vision is, this world where neither birds nor birders are scarce that Mm -hmm. like we're finding common ground amongst each other, uh, with birds, you know, just kind of like we do when we're talking about the weather, um, or when we're talking about, um, you know, what's going on in town, you know, just it, to me, we have a really great opportunity where our mission focuses on people, you know, and how we connect with each other. Um, ABA has a really great opportunity the next few years to really, again, blow that out of the water. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously the idea from a conservation perspective, this makes a ton of sense too, because, you know, we all care about birds. We all care about their welfare. And, you know, one of the problems that so many birds deal with is just apathy. Like there's so many people out there who don't get it, who don't care, who don't want to care. And just turning that around and reaching as many people as possible and bringing them into this community that they can feel comfortable in and seen in and feel as though they're valued in, I think is super, super important. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're throwing around this phrase right now within the organization, um, conservation through community. Mm-hmm. And I really see that as a way forward. You know, a lot of the work I've done the last, you know, 10, 15 years has been bird conservation is the first goal. Like that's what the organization is set out to do. Mm-hmm. Here we are trying to energize and enthuse people uh, to get out and be birders, be out there. Um, but while you're doing it, you're, you are acting as, uh, someone who is for bird conservation that Mm -hmm. you're out there for the birds. I mean, every time you do an e-bird checklist, you're doing something for the birds. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, those sorts of themes where we're really coming out and saying, you know, birders do make a difference in saving, protecting birds and the habitat that's a really important role ABA needs to really push the next several years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible for us not to care. At least I think, I mean, look, we're, we're witnesses. Like we're the, we're oftentimes the first ones that see this stuff when it's happening uh, because we're so in tune to the natural order around us. You know, Um, one of the things I love about birding is this idea that we are sort of, 
aware of this world that's going on sort of outside of the human world, like these birds coming and going, the seasonal changes and why they're going these places and what they're doing and how they're doing it is just so amazing to me. It, But also, you know, it means we are seeing the changes as they play out in real time. And that means active conservation work through this community, uh, which, which is, I know what you're saying, but I mean, there's just, uh, yeah. It's just, it's, it's, I think that's one of the reasons why I think it's important. Yeah. Yes. Conservation through community. Absolutely. Uh, I think another thing you just kind of touched on is um, a lot of birders, we have this kind of like internal calendar of what we look Mm -hmm. forward to every year. So like, you know, maybe a a regular person is thinking, oh, I can't wait for summer vacation. I can't Mm -hmm. wait for Halloween. I can't wait for the holidays and, or I can't wait for the snow season or whatever. Um, our seasonal calendar <laughs> is determined I can't wait for that by... one weekend in May when everything yeah. comes through. <laughs> I can't wait. So where are we now? It's I can't wait July. for the first cold front of fall. <laughs> I can't wait to see those cerulean warblers come through Atlanta. Yeah, um, right. You know, the shorebird <laughs> migration. It's starting. Oh, it's my happening. gosh. Yeah, yeah th- we're kind of on a – there's this – nature's calendar right but for birders it's so specific um, but exciting you know like and that is like a topic of conversation you know and we get to you know going back to like storytelling through birding i mean you can spend all you know a whole night evening with friends saying like oh i cannot wait for the hawks to come through i'm gonna go down to the coast i'm gonna go watch peregrine falcons and <laughs> where do you uh, <laughs> think is the best place to go if the weather conditions are like this or like this oh yeah i've had those conversations yeah and you just like it's seasonal right so we have something we all have something we look forward to as birders and it's like really exciting to share that with other birders and then for sure and then yeah. you learn like wait you get to look forward to that on the west coast what the heck you know yeah and- <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, I think I think turning people onto that is 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 so rewarding, honestly. To be a facilitator is is really exciting. Uh to kind of bring people into that world. Um I I see a lot of blank faces when I share that sort of stuff with like the parents of my kids' friends and stuff like that. Um but uh every once in a while, every once in a while you get you hit pay dirt. They haven't been hitting you up to do bird walks with their kids or for school. Uh, well, I do uh, bug stuff with my kids' school. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I kind of- At least before um, the pandemic. Oh, okay. I think I was doing stuff, um, you know, through Zoom for mm-hmm. uh, the school. And, uh, but yeah, I was like, I could be the bird lady. I was yep. the um, worm compost lady. Um, <laughs> what other roles have I played? Just like the nature in general. Like, we don't know what yeah. to do, Nikki, but we've got to, you know, teach, you know, STEM- outdoors what can we do right yeah um yeah <laughs> yeah I've, I've been in that i've been in those shoes before I have, I have one more question before uh before you go um what is your best birding experience when you say best yeah i what know do you mean it's by very best? broad interpretation of best most valued maybe i don't know most uh so i have a couple that come to mind probably the best birding experience I ever had was Machaya Seal Island, mm-hmm. where the puffin colony is. Um, my husband asked my uh, birder friends, I want to send Nikki out on a trip 
to go see your friends and go birding. And uh, since my friends were up in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, someone suggested this trip. It was fantastic. So I went by myself, but I was on a boat, you know, with like 15 people. Um, and you get out to the island and you basically watch the inner life drama of puffins and razor bills and Arctic turns. Yeah. And it was fantastic. You know, it's just a day trip out. I had a Northern Gannet on that trip. Nice. That was, that was really fantastic. I remember like I was smiling from ear to ear the whole time. And the other one that stands out to me is I was out um, in Oregon and Washington state. We went to Olympic and um, I actually showed a picture of this the other day of me birding on Rialto Beach. Mm-hmm. That was just oh, yeah. no, fantastic. I, I, I was looking, I mean, eagles were everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I was more fascinated with the birds on the cliffs, like the um, pigeon guillemots. Uh, we got tufted puffin up at Cape Flattery. I mean, those were really special. Those are like the best experiences. I think, though, a lot of times when people ask me, you know, like, what's what are some of your memorable birding experiences? Mm -hmm. I actually have like different memories. Like I'll say, well, I was really jazzed about this time I was down in the Florida Keys and I found a black whiskered vireo on my own. Uh Um, And that was amazing. That was like very memorable to me. But, um, you know, other times other memories are, you know, with people. So like I have a really strong memory of watching peregrine falcons on Cumberland Island with my coworker, Melanie, um, on a Georgia ornithological society trip. And like, I just hold that close to heart. Like that just, it just makes me think of the people, right. That you go out with. Um, another one that was really fun recently, uh, was chasing evening gross beaks up in North Georgia with my friend Mark. And, um, you know, just you're going into the middle of nowhere. You have no idea how to navigate these forest service roads. And you're like, well, hoping for the best. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully if something happens, you know, someone will come find us. But, you know, I remember that trip for, yes, I got some nice pictures of the birds and had a nice hike, but I also had a nice trip up with my friend Mark and, you know, just that whole, again, that like feeling of going birding and having an adventure, like yeah. those memories are almost more important to me than going, you know, to these amazing places to see mm-hmm. specific birds. Yeah. Although there is something to say for puffins, right? They're like, yeah, no, they're, they're so super. special. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder whether birds are just sort of like the icing on the cake for some of these experiences. Like I, I, I like to travel and I like to, you know, taste new foods and try new beers and all that stuff too. And sometimes I think birding is just like the little bit extra part. It's, it's, it gives me an excuse to do some of the, some of the first part. And it's just sort of the icing on the cake for those, like, like an extra augmented addition to, uh, to those experiences that I really value. I really think you hit it on the head for us because you know, I, I'm not a traveler just for birding. Now mm-hmm. I, I plan on doing that while I'm here at sure, the ABA. Opportunities. I, yeah. Yes, I look forward to that. <laughs> but like the traveling that my husband and I have done or my family and I have done have been more about going to places, right? Mm-hmm. And and usually around hiking or experiencing a new like habitat yeah. versus I'm going to see puffins. Like a really good example of that is we went to Costa Rica 
Mm -hmm. uh, probably five or six years ago, just my husband and I. And obviously, Costa Rica is a fantastic place for birding. One of the best, yeah. our goal was to get away and have time away from our children in an exotic place. And by the way, the icing on the cake were those two cans. Oh my gosh. Like what a They're just sitting there in front of our little cabin and we're like, this is amazing. It's the icing on the cake. I get to see two species of toucans just literally eating fruits outside of our cabin. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It makes everything better really. It's like mm-hmm. the, the birds the plus, always make everything it's like better. The, it's like the MSG that you'll you sprinkle on the on the on the. <laughs> this this metaphor is getting very complicated. How but about you, you we say I mean. it's that extra cup of coffee <laughs> that, on a right. Friday there afternoon? Go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Nikki, it was so great to talk to you. I hope that people get a good uh, impression of, of who you are and what you want the ABA to be. I know we're all excited here uh, in the organization uh, for what you plan to do and how and how we can all you know accomplish all these goals together because I think we, we share a lot of goals here. Um, thanks so much for your time. We'll see you around. If you want to support the ABA, you know where to go. ABA.org slash join and get some coffee while you're Yeah, get it. some of that coffee. That it's July. delicious. Good stuff. Thanks so much, Nate. I appreciate it. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, you can support it by supporting the ABA with your membership. There are many benefits, at least of which for the month of July, you can get a free bag of coffee from Thanksgiving Coffee, our ABA songbird blend with a new membership. You can get information about that at aba.org slash coffee promo, or if you just want to join regularly, you can go to aba.org slash join. Special shout outs this week to Lisa Farrell of Burlington, Vermont, Aaron Lucius of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Gordon Mueller of Beaufort, South Carolina, all of whom recently joined the ABA, noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Welcome to the ABA. Thank you so much for your membership. Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who feels she was scammed by a bird store selling hot pepper suet, which did not dissuade the squirrel at her feeder, causing her to ask, what's in this? <laughs> Technical production is by John Lowry, who really thinks we should stop asking what's in and really start asking why it's in. Additional huckers from David Hartley and Greg Neese, who note that Watson is the national bird of Guiana, because if your Guiana live on mangroves, you got to have little claws to climb around on them with. I'm really actually kind of embarrassed by that one. You can find us online at ABA.org, on social media, most everywhere as American Birding Association, but on Twitter as at ABA. I was frankly floored by the fact that Watsons actually eat leaves, which are broken down by fermentation. They don't have a, a four-chambered stomach like a cow does. They do have a two-chambered crop, which takes up so much space in the bird's body that their flight muscles are displaced and relatively scrawny, which is why they can't fly very well. So if anyone asks you why this bird is so weird, you can actually answer, it's alimentary for the Watson. Questions, comments, can come to podcast.ab.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy, folks. See you next week.